0: Welcome to Spy Hard's Podcast, where your agents go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the knock list. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, we have a very, very special guest this week. That's right, we do. Uh, We have Miles from the Disc Dump Podcast joining us. Hello, Miles
1: hello i'm miles the civilian (laughs) you've been
0: upgraded to special agent now so (laughs) all right here's your badge
1: (laughs) i've waited my whole life for this moment
0: yeah
2: this this will self-destruct at the end of course
1: oh jeez you
2: are the uh, you are the accountant getting dragged along on a mission where you'll be screaming for much of it, but be enjoying it secretly internally.
1: That's usually my role whenever I'm on other people's podcasts and stuff is I'm just the guy that gets us to where we're going. I'm the the straight in the world of craziness, just like, oh, what is that an explosion? So that fits me perfect. <laughs> perfect.
0: Well, we're gonna we're gonna swaddle you like a baby into the <laughs> world of spy movies. Uh, But before we do that, just tell us a little bit about the Disc Dump Podcast.
1: Um, Okay, so I'm the host of the Disc Dump Podcast. It's the show where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music in an effort to decide if we're going to keep the disc or if we're going to dump it, because I just have an excess of discs, DVDs, and CDs, and whatnot in my house. So instead of just blindly picking and choosing and throwing them out... I am reviewing all of them with guests and deciding if the game or movie or whatever is worth keeping or if we're going to give it to Dump. And uh, you can find me anywhere at Disc Dump Podcast. And I had you guys on an episode that should be coming out uh, the last episode of 2020. Very nice. We did 007 Goldeneye for the N64.
0: I don't want to give it away, whether we kept it or not. I'll let you go and find out on the episode. But it's a very special game to me and Cam.
1: And me too. It was, it was a good time. <laughs>
0: um well we're talking about spy movies today uh before we get on to the movie of the week is there any particular spy movies that you're a fan of miles
1: oh man when i was a kid i was super into james bond but it's been a minute like of course i love skyfall and stuff like that uh, my favorite spy movie is arguably not really a spy movie but it's a uh, captain america winter soldier that movie is rad, and it, it has all of the signs of espionage and stuff, so I would consider it a spy movie. Do you guys consider that one a spy movie? It is definitely on our list of movies to cover. Hell yeah.
0: I mean, if we can get away with covering Men in Black 3, yeah, <laughs> I think we can do uh, The Winter Soldier.
1: So, I've been wondering this, what is your criteria for this is a spy movie? Because there's lots of movies with espionage that are not spy movies, I would argue. It's a solid
0: question. It's something that we have debated on many episodes where we thought a movie might reach the lofty heights of a spy movie and actually doesn't in the end. Men in Black is a good example. Um, I just think if it has some elements, we will examine the topic. What do you think, Cam? Cam?
2: Yeah, I would agree. If it involves espionage, um, like government assassins, secret agents in some form, it's at least worthy of discussion on the podcast. And yeah, like Men in Black, we may come down on the side of this doesn't really fit the spy canon. But it has to be something that's at least recognizable to someone where they could say, yeah, that that does deal kind of with spy craft.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Like now I'm thinking about it. There's all kinds of spy movies I really like, uh, like the movie Munich. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Mm -hmm. That one's fantastic. Uh, Another one that I really like is called The Debt. Have you seen that one?
2: I have never seen it. It's on our list.
1: Oh, my God. That movie's fantastic. If you ever need someone to come on for a guest for that, I'm your guy. And, of course, Austin Powers. Everyone loves Austin Powers.
2: (laughs) Yes. We're looking forward to tackling those later down the road, too. Yeah, (laughs) I'm looking forward to cracking out my impressions on that film. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) okay well on that note um cam what are we doing this week scott we're going back to 2016 to talk about the dwayne johnson kevin hart team-up comedy central intelligence ominous music plays
0: is it dwayne (laughs) johnson
2: or is it the rock
1: dwayne johnson I would just say yes to answer that. He's, he is both. He, <laughs> yeah.
2: He is one entity. Yeah. He is The Rock, and The Rock is all of us.
1: I would argue in this movie he's more of The Rock than he is Dwayne Johnson. He's out there flexing his muscles and walking around without shirts on and stuff.
2: Yeah, that, that is definitely more The Rock. Although the thing about The Rock name, though, is that that was a copyright issue, right? Like He had to pay WWE to keep using the term The Rock. And so that's why he switched to Dwayne Johnson. And he's been Dwayne Johnson, I think, at least for a couple of years before this movie. See, I thought
0: it was to do with um, just establishing yourself as a brand and becoming Dwayne Johnson
2: from The Rock, not to do with licensing fees. But I could see it either way. I'm pretty sure it was an issue where he was having to pay WWE a certain amount of money every time he used The Rock in promotions for movies. Hmm. Well, I,
0: I know one thing for certain, and I'm a bit, I used to be quite the wrestling fan, and WWE will take anyone's money if they can. So that, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's have a crack at the letterbox.com synopsis. Any bets, gentlemen? I'm going to say short and to the point. Just like Kevin Hart. That's right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be long winded talking about the real trials and tribulations of the story.
0: Okay. So we have polar opposites in opinion. Here we go. (laughs) Central intelligence. Saving the world takes a little heart and a big Johnson. Genius. I'm not done. I know. I know. But that's just genius right there. (laughs) That's great. They could leave it there. Yeah. After he reunites with an old pal through Facebook. A mild-mannered accountant is lured into the world of international espionage. Boom.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: That first line is amazing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the first line was actually in like the trailer for like It Takes a Little Heart and blah, blah blah, you know, like I feel like that was like in bold letters in all the promotional material. I feel like they didn't come up with that. I
0: could see it saying and a big Johnson with the the rocks character dancing as a teenager
2: yeah (laughs) i hope whoever the marketing person was that came up with that tagline got a bonus because i actually think that's a really good tagline and most movies have very generic taglines and aren't that memorable that one is actually really strong
1: i feel like it was kevin hart that has kevin hart's name written all over it (laughs) well i
2: hope he got a bonus then
1: yeah (laughs) well Usually we'll go
0: through uh, thoughts on the film before we watched it. I actually did see this film in cinemas, funnily enough, and I had some quite fond memories of it. So I was excited to visit it again, but I couldn't say I could really remember much about it apart from enjoying it. What about, uh, what about you, Miles? Uh,
1: I saw it on HBO not long after it came out, if I'm not mistaken. And once the first probably five minutes of the movie were over, I was like, that's... 99% of what I remember about this movie. I remember that and the twist of who the bad guy is at the end, and those are the only things I remembered about it. Sat down to watch it with my lady, and we could say she wasn't impressed, but I had different opinions. So <laughs> what about you, Cam?
2: Um, so I never saw this movie in theaters. I actually never saw it on video either. This is actually the mm. first time I had ever seen this movie for the podcast. My main memory of Central Intelligence was, however— That back in the summer of 2016, um, I was doing a box office wager for all the movies released as summer blockbusters with my friend Tyler and my sister Janine, who was on, uh, I guess that's our um, Three Days of the Condor episode and our Tomorrow Never Dies episode guests. Um, And uh, so every summer we try to come up with the box office top 10. And Central Intelligence was the movie that was the wrench in all of our plans and messed us all up because none of us predicted it would land on the top 10. So a bit of a spoiler for um, the box office when I talk about that, but that is my main memory of it. It really screwed us up. (laughs) I think it might be a bit of a first
0: for us then, because it's usually the other way around. You've seen the film and I haven't.
2: Yeah, that's actually accurate. I think this is the first time that uh, you've seen one. I haven't. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, Well... That leads us beautifully into how this film came to be. How, what do you have for us, Cam?
2: Right. Okay. So the way this movie kind of seemed to originate was as an idea or a story concept by Ike Barinholtz and David Stassen. Now they were both writers on the Mindy Project, the Mindy Kaling show, mm-hmm. um, and Ike Barinholtz had a background in Mad TV as well. Ike Barinholtz is the more recognizable of the two. He's also an actor. You may remember him as one of the dads in the movie Blockers. He was one of the prison guards in Suicide Squad. He's a really funny guy, shows up in a lot of movies. Um, But ultimately, they had a story there, and they brought in Rawson Marshall Thurber, who is a director and writer. He had written and directed Dodgeball, the Ben Stiller comedy with Vince Vaughn. He'd also done We're the Millers, the um, Jennifer Aniston film. That was kind of a surprise smash, actually. So he was, he had some heat going for him. So he basically joined the two of them and the three of them fleshed out a screenplay. And at some point along the line, Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson got involved. It's interesting because I saw Ed Helms as an exec producer on this movie, which makes me wonder if he was attached to this at some point in time. Um, I couldn't find anything indicating he was going to star in this movie at a certain point. But it makes sense in the wake of The Hangover that Ed Helms would have been shopping for projects and maybe was attached to some things.
1: I feel like he would have been a, a good, like the obnoxious co-worker. I feel like that role was designed for Ed Helms and he just couldn't do it for some reason. Yeah, although I do wonder if
2: he would have been the Kevin Hart role. That's what I was really wondering because this is a guy um... coming off The Hangover, which is like a mega smash, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Plus The Office. Yeah, I could see it more as the Kevin Hart character in that one. But nonetheless, Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson had wanted to work together for a while. Uh, They were fans of each other. Um, I think it was uh, Dwayne Johnson said he was a big fan of Kevin Hart's social media presence, which I'm like, that is the most 2000s thing to say ever. (laughs) (laughs) I love your reach.
1: Thanks.
2: (laughs) He said he really loved how positive Kevin Hart was. And that's kind of the Rocks brand as well. So um, Mm. the two of them, I guess, met backstage at the Teen Choice Awards one year. (laughs) 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 These are not the sort of anecdotes I get to throw out when I'm talking about Hitchcock films. So I'm really (laughs) appreciating this.
0: (laughs) Old Alfie hanging around the back of the Teen Choice Awards. That's a a different
2: image altogether. (laughs) (laughs) And they reiterated that they wanted to work together. And they were just looking for the right script. And this project landed in their laps. Originally, it seems like Kevin Hart, they were looking to him to be more of a comedy relief character, maybe the uh, Dwayne Johnson role. And Kevin Hart thought it would be way more fun to make himself the straight man and have Dwayne Johnson be the comedy relief. So there was a bit of rewriting there. The actual production, though, seems like the most low drama production ever. It seems like Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson became best friends, Um, They both said there was no egos whatsoever on the set. It just seems like they had a lot of fun. I mean, the fact that they've worked together three times since then seems to indicate that these two just got along great. The most interesting thing I could find in terms of a production note, you know, sort of a bit of a problem, was that because of the height differential of Dwayne Johnson being 6'5", and Kevin Hart being 5'4", it was a bit of a struggle for um, the director, Ross and Marshall Thurber, to frame the two of them in widescreen he had to really try to figure out ways to show the two of them in a way where it wasn't like cutting one person off which seems like a kind of a fun challenge and i think the movie does have a lot of fun with that height difference
1: yeah they uh they really utilize that to like reveal punchlines later like when they're like walking out of the bar or whatever they've been on screen together for like i don't know 15 minutes at that point And then they just look down. He's like, you're wearing jorts. And you couldn't have seen that the way it was framed before that. And I feel like they did that at least three times. Like, oh, and then here was something we couldn't see without a wide shot. It
2: always feels like a novelty when you watch a movie and they actually play up a big height difference because so many movies of the past, you know, they were digging ditches for actors to walk in. They didn't tend to like people to have that big difference in size. I just watched Tenet the other night and like Elizabeth Debicki is like towering over some of the male co-stars and like in the old days, they never would have played up that sort of height difference. So I kind of appreciate this. It's kind of fun.
1: I mean, I have 10,000 questions about how you felt about that about Tenet, but we don't need to get into that, I guess, in this one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's coming uh, we'll be getting not too to far.
2: It. Yeah. It's coming shortly down the road. All um right. so uh box office wise, this movie had a budget of fifty million dollars. Domestically it did 127, international 90 for a total of 217 million dollars. So Central Intelligence did very well for its budget for sure.
1: So like I've been listening to your podcast all day today, and you guys talked about a bunch of nineties and eighties movies, and you're like, it grossed Thirteen million dollars. So it's like wild to hear like how inflation has affected the movies, like their gross income and stuff. Because I wouldn't say this movie was a huge success by today's standards, but it made like a hundred times as much money as some of the movies in the nineties that you guys talked about.
2: Totally. I mean, this movie made one hundred twenty-seven million dollars domestically, which is not like a smash hit in you know nowadays, but. When you compare it to movies of the '90s, where it's like it made 80 million dollars and it was the biggest movie in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so.
0: I mean, not everything can be Avengers Endgame in this era, and no, I think that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know that um, a lot of studios agree with you, Scott. I think they want all of their movies to be Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: hear that ching ching. Yeah. No.
2: And um, so the the top box office for that year worldwide, number one was Captain America Civil War with $1.2 billion. Number two was Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And number three was Finding Dory, notably all Disney films.
1: Whoa.
2: Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I've never seen Finding Dory. It's all right. It's all right. The original is far better.
1: Yeah, I've never seen it either, but I saw the other ones. I like Rogue One a lot. That's kind of like a space spy movie. It is. There
2: is some definite spy elements. I guess we'll have to debate that one, Scott, whether Rogue One applies to the spy hards, you know, future lists. I mean, it could be our only opportunity to go to space,
0: except for Moonraker, of course. Of course. (laughs) Although, do you ever need to go back to space after Moonraker? That's the real question. Well, it's it's best to go out on an all-time high.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If Moonraker is your only space option, don't go to space. That's right.
2: (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, there is that (laughs) argument too.
2: (laughs) So this movie landed at number 41 at the worldwide box office, right between the Dan Brown adaptation Inferno starring Tom Hanks and Bridget Jones's Baby, a movie that was the pride and joy of um, Scott's hometown, right? What's my hometown, Ken? (laughs) London? England? (laughs) 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 Where Where do you think I'm from? (laughs) well i just assumed bridget jones is like the toast of the town there what town (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: i i can i can definitely say it's not a big thing from where i'm from okay wherever that may be
2: those um bridget jones movies did really really well overseas so i just assumed that they were a bigger deal there no,
0: I'm I'm taking the mic. Everyone loves it here. Um, I mean, was that the third one you're talking about? Yeah, right. I I actually saw that one in the cinema, so I hope that puts it into perspective for you. I paid
2: to see that film. Whoa! How, how dare you snark at me about Bridget Jones <laughs> and then reveal you saw it in theaters?
1: Man, that was the plot twist of the century. Uh.
0: I've got like the 4K box set, everything. I love it. <laughs> that movie will not be on Spy Hearts in the near future. <laughs> hey, they're still cranking out Bridget Jones stories. She could end up being a spy one day and then we'll have to cover it.
2: Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so some other spy movies that were released this year that wound up on the box office. Um, top 200. Number 19, you had Jason Bourne. Number 65, you had the Robert Zemeckis film Allied, which I'm looking forward to revisiting on this show because I've forgotten almost all of it. At number 141, you had Keeping Up with the Joneses, another spy comedy with Zach Efron mm-hmm. and Gal Gadot. And at number 146, you had The Brothers Grimsby with Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, Mark Strong, which I have not seen. So that's another one on our list to cover in the future. And I have seen it. There we are. Oh, wow. There you go. I think you're more of a comedy watcher than I am. I think that may be the the bit of the gulf between us, is that I don't tend to watch as many comedies.
0: Well, if there's one thing we have learned from our 25, 26 episodes so far, is that you don't have a funny bone in your entire body. It's
2: it's true. They listen to our episodes and are like, clearly that man does not watch comedy. (laughs) (laughs) This might have been our first spit take on the
0: episode as well, so I quite like that.
2: (laughs) Um... Also notably for the two stars of Central Intelligence, a big year for both. Um, Dwayne Johnson also had Moana this year, which landed at number 12. And Kevin Hart had a pretty good year as well. He had at number six, The Secret Life of Pets, which is a real big smash. I think that was also a upsetting the uh, apple cart for us on the box office wager. Um, And then at number 63, he had Ride Along 2, the sequel to Ride Along, the surprise hit, which had Ice Cube in it. Hmm. So there you go um this movie despite not being a you know it wasn't like a mega smash but it was a surprise hit bit of a sleeper hit that uh ross and marshall thurbert did brainstorm a sequel idea he thought could be really fun but he said since he doesn't think it'll ever happen because dwayne johnson is booked up until about the year 2063 so there you have it sorry fans
1: wasn't 2016 the year that dwayne the rock johnson was the top paid actor in the world for a whole year That's
2: possible. I'm wondering. It was either sixteen
1: or seventeen. I don't remember which one, but it was when Moana came out. So if that was the same time, then yeah, he was the highest paid actor in the world that year.
2: He's done it a couple times because it was also the year where he did like Rampage and Jumanji, where he had like three movies out in that year as well. So I think he's repeated it a couple times.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I don't. I try not to like get too crazy about like, oh, this celebrity is amazing, but. Dwayne Johnson really is an amazing human being. Like, who knew he could sing? Good Lord, yeah. he was amazing in Moana. So, anyway, I'll let you get back to talking about what you were talking about.
0: <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, he was a big part of my childhood. When I was watching WWF when it was at its peak, when The Rock was The Rock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's something you would quote in the, in the schoolyard, just all of his catchphrases. He was, he was my wrestler, apart from maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I only ever heard good things about him. And then he went on to you know do some quite dodgy films like The Tooth Fairy. Um, <laughs> uh, but then he's gone on to stuff like this. So I all the power to him. I wish him all the best.
1: I had his action figure when I was a kid. And it was like... I had all kinds of action figures. Don't get me wrong. But the the one that was The Rock was made of like such solid plastic compared to everything else. I would drop him and his nose would just get a little scuffed up like... I played with that thing all day and all night, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm such a big fan of The Rock now. But he, he was such a fantastic human.
0: I think I could one up your uh, rock fandom.
1: I'm sure you I, can. Yeah. I. I. I well.
0: Uh, well. Um, <laughs> I. I had. I had the Wycliffe Jean and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, CD single. It doesn't matter.
1: What? I purchased this. I didn't know such a thing existed.
0: Oh, it's a real thing. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and cliff Jean released a single, and I think it charted quite high
2: in America. It did. I think it was kind of a hit year, yeah.
1: I have never heard of this. I immediately am going to check this after this podcast. It doesn't
2: matter.
0: (laughs) It doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, uh, Cam, do you have anything else for us on uh, Central Intelligence?
2: No that's about all there is. It was a you know one of those projects that there's not a lot on behind the scenes stuff. We should note though that you know Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson obviously loved working together and did the two Jumanji films as well as Kevin Hart appeared in Hobson Shaw um, a couple years ago so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if these two continue to work together. They've kind of become our Robert Redford Paul Newman or um, maybe some, I'm trying to remember a comedy duo from the past who always got together as well. It just seems like these two have a lot in common. They're, Hope, uh, I guess, Hope and Crosby.
1: I don't know who any of those people are. I don't know who those said. people are.
2: Really? Paul Newman and Robert Redford? You're not familiar with them? I know, I know, who know Robert, Robert Redford. Redford.
1: Is. He's in He's in Captain America, Winter Soldier.
0: Listeners, Cam is showing his potential age at this point. And well. or, or we're showing our age, potentially, <laughs> being too young. Me and Miles here are, uh, you know,
2: just about out of preschool (laughs) well you know i'm I'm glad you actually brought up the age thing because when you two are talking about the uh, you know dwayne johnson slash the rock he had like no impact on me whatsoever i was in my 20s i guess or at least late teens when he really broke through and i didn't really pay any attention to him whatsoever until probably the mummy returns where he showed up as the scorpion king however briefly and that was more or less my introduction to the man So yeah, I don't have like the nostalgia or kind of the background in terms of really recognizing this guy on his way up.
1: That was his first film role though, wasn't it?
2: It was, yeah. But I mean, he'd appeared on Star Trek Voyager, um, Mm -hmm. you know, previous to that, as well as just, even if you weren't a WWE fan, a lot of people wound up tuning into WWE because of him. And I just wasn't that person. I really didn't care. So I guess maybe that's the difference. Like I remember my sister- who's not like a big wrestling fan, but she was watching at that point in time. And I think he was a big part of the reason why
1: she could smell what the rock was cooking.
2: The whole world could, except for me. <laughs>
1: Perfect, I, was never... jabroni. <laughs> I was never really into wrestling when I was a kid, but I, for some reason had the action figure. So, <laughs> but I mean, I remember the whole era of Hulk Hogan
2: becoming a movie star and, you know, you had stuff like Mr. Nanny and suburban commando, And so like when The Rock started teasing movies, I just kind of dismissed it. I really didn't think this was going to be a thing. So it's just been very fun and interesting to see the trajectory he's had in terms of his career versus, you know, what I assumed it would be when he was appearing in a uh, largely CG role in The Mummy Returns.
0: Well, that's the interesting thing is a lot of people, when The Rock left the industry to try his hand at acting, said, oh, he's just going to be another Hulk Hogan. Mm hmm. Uh, and he's since proved to them wrong, I would say, because Hulk Hogan never really had his central intelligence <laughs> <laughs> at all.
2: <laughs> Scott, you're on fire
1: today! Oh my god! <laughs> uh,
2: holy smokes!
1: <laughs> no,
2: but you can see, <laughs> you can see in an actor like John Cena. That he is very much trying to follow in the Rock's footsteps and seems to be succeeding very largely too. He may not have Dwayne Johnson level popularity yet, but he's definitely become very respected in the industry in a way that Hulk Hogan, who came before them, didn't.
1: I don't know. He's like doing all this Nickelodeon business that I, I don't particularly respect myself. He does look a lot like Ernest. He'd better take up that role. Do you guys have Ernest? <laughs> uh, Ernest goes to camp and stuff.
2: We don't in the UK. <laughs> I've seen them all, but or I should say I've seen most of the earnest movies that played in theaters. I never saw any of the straight to video stuff. But uh when I was a kid, yeah, yeah, for sure. But with with John Cena,
0: like The Rock, did his Disney films? That was Tooth Fairy and stuff like mm-hmm. that. He did his like schlocky kids films first. So I think, but the, the, John Cena started doing things like blo- uh, is it Blockers? Not Blockers. Yep. yep oh, blockers. blockers. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there was another adult comedy he did as well. He was in Trainwreck with Amy Schumer. That's it. And he's soon to be in
2: the Suicide Squad with uh, James Gunn. Yeah, he was also in Bumblebee, the Transformers film. So, I mean, he's definitely making the very similar choices to Dwayne Johnson in that, you know, you pick your franchises, you pick your kind of kid-friendly things to bring in a young audience. You, you know, try to cater a little bit to the adult audience that appreciates your comedy skills. So, it definitely feels like he's trying to follow in that mold. And it's somewhat working. Somewhat working, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's That's pretty smart, what you just said. I like what you said. That's... (laughs) He, uh... like, Yeah. (laughs) I, I really liked him in that... The Amy Schumer movie. I thought he was great in that. But, like, there was a movie where he just played a regular cop that had to, like, stop a bunch of terrorists who were blowing up banks and sh- stuff, stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I like, that movie didn't do it for me, and I saw him in some Nickelodeon thing where he was a firefighter, that didn't really do it for me, but I'm also not in the demographic of a Nickelodeon watcher, so I can't really hold that against him. True. To yeah. can we are.
0: To can we are. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. <right. laughs> Well, I think we're uh, we're straying off the topic here, unfortunately. So let, let's guide it back into the film itself. Um, now, usually I would go with guest first, but because Miles and myself have actually seen the film in cinemas or on home release before revisiting for the podcast, I'm actually really keen to hear Cam first. What did mm-hmm. you think of the film?
2: Yeah, it was okay. Um...
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Miles, you're up. <laughs> <laughs> I would say the exact same thing. It was It was okay. It was... The bloopers were the best part, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Go on, Cam. Uh, elaborate some more.
1: Yeah, um,
2: I I enjoyed the chemistry of Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. I actually think it works really well. And um, I, I had a lot of fun with the two of them, you know, playing these mismatched kind of guys. But to me, this has a lot of the problems I have with a number of comedies where it feels like it's only half written and a lot of it is just like... Okay, guys, vamp, vamp, come up with something. And I think this kind of, I mean, I'm a big fan of the Judd Apatow films. I think they're also to blame for this and that a lot of filmmakers since those movies, you know, struck so big, starting with 40-Year-Old Virgin, they said, well, improv is the key. So just get these actors to vamp and you'll have great comic gold. But I think it takes more discipline than that. And I think Judd Apatow knows how to steer that and mix it really well with very strong storytelling. Whereas like, I find a lot of movies just kind of stop dead and it's like, okay, try and say something funny. And you see a lot of actors just kind of floundering. And this wasn't a, you know, like toxic example of it where I'm just like, this is unbearable. It's just that it never felt like it hit the comedic heights it should. Um, And the storytelling was very basic stuff that, I mean, I predicted pretty much the ending within about, I don't know, 20 minutes or something like that. Whatever, Whatever the first tease of the ending came along, I figured it out. So I was kind of waiting just to get to the end point. But it's the kind of thing where it's watchable because of the chemistry of the duo. The storytelling's just kind of flat, but I enjoyed watching these two play off each other. And I do think, you know, when I look at Jumanji, the first or the second, you really see how in a different type of role, you know, tackling those two characters in a different way, or those two actors, I should say, you can really get magic out of them. It just feels like this is kind of a dry run for the better work they would do later. But I enjoyed seeing their chemistry. So I'll say that much. What about you, Miles?
1: I really do agree. Like, I feel like the chemistry that they had is what saved the movie. Um, I listened to your episode. I think it was about Jumpin' Jack Flash. And you guys were talking about how it was basically like, Whoopi Goldberg, please save the movie. You can do it. And she she just, like, <laughs> did her best to struggle through it. And I really – you made up a whole bunch of really good points that, like, there were just moments in the movie where they took a break and they were like, okay, Kevin Hart, just do Kevin Hart things for a little while. We'll keep the camera rolling on you and we'll just take the best of the bits here. And the actual plot of the movie is as shallow as a, like, so shallow. There's no depth to any of it except maybe The Rock's character. He's kind of cool because he's the only one who really develops a whole lot. But, well, I guess Kevin Hart does too. But overall, the, the movie itself, the plot wasn't great, but it was powered by the fact that Kevin Hart and The Rock are, like, buddies at this point.
0: I guess it's my time to talk now then. Oh yeah, go <laughs> ahead. It's your turn now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, good sir. No, no. I, um, see, for me, I I know that there's not really a plot here. There, there's no actual story to this. As Cam said, you can pick out the ending very early on in the film. That doesn't mean it's not an enjoyable film. And I think, I, I definitely enjoyed watching it as a popcorn film at the cinema, as a comedy flick that I went and saw. Hour and 45 minutes, well spent. I said, um, and I think going back to it, it was fine. Now, as a spy film, it's a it's, it's pretty blank. It's pretty uh, barren, wouldn't you say?
2: For sure. Well, here, here's my question: What do you think is a better spy film, Central Intelligence or Jumpin' Jack Flash? That's a very good question.
1: Um, is Kill Yourself I think... an answer? Is that something? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I mean, you can also yourself out of a window onto an inflatable uh, uh, chimpanzee, if you'd like.
1: Yeah. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. Or gorilla, sorry. Um, I would say Jump in, Jack F- Jump in Jack Flash is probably the better spy film because it, you don't necessarily have it all straight
2: away or you can't figure it out straight away. There are some yeah. small twists. Yeah, and it felt like there's more novelty just to the concepts that movie's kind of playing with versus here where it's more like... Generic spy film, throw in your comedy actors. It didn't feel like they were trying to really build a interesting spy story. Yeah, I'm not sure they actually were. No, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the idea was to
0: make a, a a comedy spy film with some beloved actors uh, and make it funny. And I think in in that particular domain, they succeeded.
2: Okay. Okay. All right
0: then. So, did you not find it funny, Cam? <laughs>
2: Not really. Like there was a few parts I kind of chuckled, but overall, no, no. I mean, I'm someone who tends to really appreciate in comedy the the idea of the sequence where it's about building comedy sequences that build and build where it feels like there's an energy that's just accumulating. You know, a lot of really great comedy directors will assemble comedy you know, sequences the way that action directors put together action sequences or musical directors put together a musical where it's building to like a crescendo. And it feels like this movie has none of that. It's just like, okay, get on screen. Try to like motor mouth some things out. Hopefully one of them's funny. Let's move on to the next scene. It doesn't feel like there's any discipline going on in terms of actually constructing great comedy. It just kind of feels like, okay, quick, throw out a funny line. Okay, next scene. Great, great. Just kind of crank them from one to the next. What I think works the best, honestly, in this movie is the stuff that I I don't even know if it's that funny. It's just the the arc of the um, Dwayne Johnson character and that I really enjoyed seeing Dwayne Johnson do interesting things with a performance. I sometimes get a little frustrated with Dwayne Johnson and that he plays kind of the same character every time. So every movie I can see, even in a failed one, like um, the sequel to Get Shardy, a movie that I'm totally blanking on the name of right now. um, I think it was Be Cool, where he played like, I think a gay musical um performer i think a comedy music uh guy mm-hmm. i think I, that's right sorry, country yeah. music guy i should say not comedy music uh, uh country music um i like that he was going out there and trying something weird and i like that he's trying weird things here i don't this is a better movie than be cool by a lot but i think that um I appreciate the most what he's bringing to a character that he's kind of working a little bit outside his comfort zone.
1: I don't disagree with anything you just said, but I do feel like you overlooked one building comedy thing. That was a glorious crescendo at the end of the movie. And that was the girl with the crossed eyes. They bring her up like three times before they reveal that it's Melissa McCarthy at the end. I was howling laughing when they, like, took her glasses off and her eyes went crossed again. I don't know why. I thought that was, like, really well-executed comedy. Just, like, because they didn't make it seem like it was going to be a big deal. But when they brought it up the second time, it was like, hmm. And then when you finally, like, see it's her, I was like, oh, my God.
2: (laughs) Like, this movie is pretty good with setup and payoff where you also have – um, Dwayne Johnson teasing that he's a never nude, you know, like Tobias mm-hmm. on Arrested Development. Thank and then you. Then you. Pay off. Yes. <laughs> and then you get the payoff at the end of that. But yes, the, um, Melissa McCarthy character stuff is, uh, it does deliver. Like when the movie does pick its setups and payoffs, it's pretty good. When I say sequences, I mean more as in like an extended sequence, you know, taking place over the span of a few minutes. You know what I mean? Where it's like the sequence just keeps building and building and building to a, like a big hilarity, you know, kind of moment. But in terms of yeah, its comedy setups and payoffs, I think it's it's fairly decent. Yeah. See,
0: for, it's actually really interesting you bring up the Melissa McCarthy thing, which is the end of the film. That is probably the only joke I bumped on. Really? Yeah, I just felt like they built up this character having two lazy eyes and then she takes her glasses off and then all the eyes go in. And I just thought, oh, hey, we're taking the mickey out of someone who has a disability.
2: Aww. Oh, Well, this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too, because we could talk about the Dwayne Johnson character. Yeah. Right at the the start of the movie, we see he's quite overweight in his teenage years. Mm -hmm. And there's a sequence of him dancing nude in the shower. And the movie wants you to laugh at this character's physique. Like it is very much going out of its way to project it as funny. And then there's a scene where he's horribly bullied like thrown in front of the entire class nude and they want you to feel really bad for this character like this is the worst moment of his life and they want you to understand that and the kevin hart character is acknowledging this he recognizes how serious it is and then it cuts to a joke of Dwayne johnson walking away and then the camera just like focuses kind of on his butt again like isn't this hilarious look at the rock and it's like uh guys you're going back and forth here like it's totally not making any sense
1: No, like, what kind of sociopaths would laugh at both of those moments? Like, I don't know, all the kids, like, even if someone did that in my high school when we all had our underdeveloped brains and we were all dumb and made fun of everything. If someone got thrown naked on the floor and slid across dick side down on the floor, like, (laughs) nobody would be like, ha ha, that's hilarious. You would have people looking to each other going like, oh my
2: God, like, what's going to happen? Like, something serious is about to happen. Um, it, it would not be everyone pointing and laughing in unison, which is like really ridiculous.
0: Yeah, this is one of the things I had somewhat of an issue with because I myself was a, a rather overweight teenager with uh body issues, as it were. So I kind of saw it, for, I understood the rock's perspective on this one, which is not mm-hmm. a sentence I can often say, <laughs> but um, yeah, it really isn't, it really isn't, but um. I just felt like, first of all, that crowd wouldn't really laugh at him. But then we're we're poking fun at someone who is just having a nice time, and like, I just I don't think it takes it that that part of it seriously. It wants to use the joke of him being overweight, but then make you feel sorry for him, like Cam said. And I don't think you are allowed to have your cake and eat it on this sort of thing.
2: No, it's too sensitive an issue when you're talking about high school bullying and body image stuff. Like, it's like okay, like I get that this feels. In many ways, it feels like a remnant of the types of comedies we got years earlier where they would make those types of jokes. You know, I'm thinking more of that era of, like, The Nutty Professor yep. or, um, boy, there, there was, like, Shallow Hal. There was a few. Me, of Myself, there was and one.
0: Irene, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, Just Friends, the one with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, they would do that kind of thing quite a bit. But this is 2016, and it just feels kind of tone deaf, especially when the camera's making cheap shots.
1: yeah. I don't disagree, but at the same time, The Rock's face on a fat body was pretty funny the first time you lay eyes on it. Well, because you know what he looks like.
0: Like, in reality.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: I can understand that joke. Mm-hmm. I found it more disturbing looking. Like, the CG was
2: unsettling.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I wrote down, like, I now hate de-aging, and I've just watched the end of The Mandalorian, season two. Yeah. No spoilers, of course, but I, I thought I hated de-aging from that, but uh, I
2: hate it even more now. Yeah. Although this wasn't de-aging, this was more body swapping, right? Because they were putting The Rock's face, I think, on someone else.
1: They de-aged Kevin Hart for sure, though.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Here's a question I, I was going to bring up later when
0: we got to Jason Bateman, but don't you think it's really weird that uh, Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson, and uh, is it Danielle Nicolette? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, all had their faces put onto their younger selves. But Jason Bateman's character didn't have that at all.
2: Dude, nothing in terms of this being a 20-year high school reunion makes any sense whatsoever. (laughs) Like, when they are panning across the faces of this 20-year reunion, I'm like, give me a break. Like half of these actors are pushing 50. I mean, (laughs) Jason Bateman, I think at the time they shot, this was in his late forties. These characters are all supposed to be about 38 years old, 37 years old. It
1: looks really ridiculous. I didn't think about that, but you're right. But I feel like a lot of the punchlines of this movie were celebrity cameo. At least two of them were, and that was Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy. But like, how much time do you really get Jason Bateman for? I guess he wasn't the, like one of the biggest directors and actors of his time in 2016. That came a little bit later, but like Mm -hmm. maybe that's why they didn't get a chance to superimpose his face. They were like, we have him for an afternoon. We need to get him in this scene and we need to get him at the end where he gets punched out. Like we just got to do what we got to do there. Cause I don't know if this was Ozark time, but Ozark time was coming pretty quick after that.
0: I think Ozark was in sort of production around about the time, but he had just come off of Arrested Development Season 4, not long before this. Like, he was,
2: his star was quite high in the sky. Yeah, and hmm. you had horrible bosses and things like that. I think, honestly, the Jason Bateman thing is purely because they want the reveal of when they go to visit his office later in the movie. They want you to be surprised when Jason Bateman turns around in the chair. Like, I think yeah. that's the joke. Right. But you know it's you know it's that bully it's not like it's a surprise it's him no it's all about the reveal of the actor they want you to have you know kind of the surprise of a stunt casting decision because he's not in the main credits i don't think is he I don't even know. Maybe he is actually, but it didn't feel like it was something that was publicized a lot when the movie came out. Like I don't remember any awareness of Jason Bateman being one of the stars of this movie.
1: No, like the it a lot of the jokes were like this is a celebrity cameo, especially with like the bad guy too. It was like, "Oh hey, here's a person who's in the height of his career. I don't know when you want to reveal that." But yeah, like the just being able to turn people around and be like, "And it's Jason Bateman." is it's kind of cheap comedy trope it is
2: but i think it delivers if the comedy delivers but i felt like it's it's funny that scott that you weren't a big fan of melissa mccarthy but i felt like her comedy moments actually worked because of she always brings so much joy to like her scenes that i always just kind of brighten up a bit whenever she's on screen um whereas like the jason bateman one i was like okay i don't really find this funny that this guy is just like the worst like psychopath who's ever been born like that's not really that funny to me um, and yeah, the Aaron Paul is the villain. I'm like, okay, I like Aaron Paul a lot. Um, but to me, the funniest part of everything he did in this movie was trying to convince me that Aaron Paul versus a Dwayne Johnson fight is a, in any way, an equal <laughs> prospect.
1: he can do crazy backflips and kick people.
2: It was insane. Yeah. How tall is Aaron Paul? Like Kevin Hart's about 5'4". I feel like Aaron Paul's maybe 5'6". Yeah. What was that capoeira kick thing about though when he when he stood up? That
0: was bizarre.
1: It was the only way they could justify that Aaron Paul would beat Dwayne Johnson in a fight.
0: We're going to teach you this one thing Aaron, you're going to love it. Yeah. go. Right, sure thing, bitch.
1: <sighs> yeah, and
2: this movie's also weirdly like it has a lot of jokes that reference that reference sort of the work of the actors. Cause you have Aaron Paul. Yeah. Doing the bitch line, which is very breaking bad. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have a really weird one where Kevin Hart calls um, Dwayne Johnson
1: Hercules. Yeah. That and, was fun. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Dwayne Johnson was in a movie called Hercules like two years earlier that was directed by disgraced, the toxic Hollywood presence, Brett Ratner. And it's <laughs> like, we, what a weird way to congratulate Hercules, a movie that no one liked and no one saw. <laughs>
1: I mean, I saw it, but the biggest one of what you're talking about, like making references to the actors, was actually Dwayne the Rock Johnson, because they gave him a fanny pack. Did you ever see the pictures of Dwayne Johnson in high school? Mm-hmm. No. He, he oh, went, yeah, I did. Yeah, he yeah, wears a he wore a fanny pack for picture day. So they were like making fun of him for like, oh, you you wore pa- fanny packs, and he's like, fanny packs are awesome. So they put him in the movie like that. So I feel like that was like the main reference. The only reason they put the fanny pack in it.
0: And of course, Dwayne Johnson is actually a huge unicorn fan in real life.
1: (laughs) I don't know if that's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I have no idea either. Maybe (laughs) I was making that
2: up, but he could be down with the corn or corn. Oh, maybe, uh, maybe Dwayne Johnson is a unicorn. Like that's just it. He's such a unique personality that he is the unicorn himself. So it makes sense to have a character that's obsessed with unicorns.
1: You're getting too deep with it, but you're also right about that, but you're getting too deep with it. (laughs) Um,
2: what did you guys think of this concept, which does feel very of its time. The idea of the kind of the weird friend. That's actually basically Jason Bourne. Like a lot of this is, stripped a little bit out of that Jason Bourne craze. He would have had Bourne movies being released, you know, a few years earlier than this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's kind of that concept, you know, he's referred to as Jason Bourne in Jorts. What did you think of that as a comedy idea of this character being chased by the government? Only in this case he's a bit of a uh I don't even know what the term is. He's a bit of a misfit, I guess.
0: I think the concept of Jason Bourne with a sense of humor is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think this film does anything with that concept uh but i i think it's something that could have been done better by another film
1: yeah uh, yeah the uh like i did like that he was like a stalker obsessed with kevin hart i thought that was pretty cute but as far as him being like a super spy who's also kind of a nincompoop i feel like that didn't work super great well, you're
0: right, though. This is sort of the era of anyone who is a secret agent spy ha- apparently knows all fighting styles and is a is an, is an assassin of some sort. Right. Whereas, you know, you look at Robert Redford in Three Days of the Condor, he's technically a spy in that film, but he doesn't know any of that crap.
2: Oh, yeah, totally. So I, I thought the concept was kind of fun, and it makes sense at that point with the Bourne popularity to do a bit of a riff on that. I just think it should have been a little tighter and maybe... I don't know, like maybe tried to work in some more born uh, tropes or something like that. I think it could have been fun for fans. But I, I also can't fault the film for just kind of playing it straight and doing something a little more, you know, boilerplate. Just because they want to deliver comedy versus a spy film for people. I think that's fine. And I think if you look at the box office, most people are more than happy with that. So I can't argue with their success.
0: Well, I would say that they do kind of have the, the born style flashback
2: memory things. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. So I do use that, but yeah. I... Have you either of you guys seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles?
1: Many, many years ago. I can't that's say okay. that I have.
2: I got real vibes of that in this movie, where in that movie, it's John Candy. is kind of this hanger-on to Steve Martin, and it's over the holidays. And what I liked about this movie was it had some similar vibes to that, where, yes, the Dwayne Johnson character can be a little obnoxious, But there's never a mean spiritedness to Kevin uh, Hart's reactions to him and that you buy the friendship and kind of the growing warmth between them, even if we ourselves look at the Dwayne Johnson character or the John Candy character in the case of planes, trains and automobiles and kind of go like, boy, that guy is kind of annoying. But I like that the uh, that the warmth of the characters, it does come across to the audience.
1: Yeah, that's. That's interesting because, like, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the char- the actors are more important than the characters because you can really sense the dynamic between the two of them, the whole movie. And I think even if Kevin Hart was, like, on the script, on the paper, it was like he's very upset. He says, I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of this. But at the same time, because Kevin Hart and The Rock are either amazing actors or good friends, pretty sure it's the last one. Uh, because they're like such good friends in real life, it rubs off on the screen. So like Mm -hmm. even when he was supposed to be negative, like F you, I don't like you very much, it came out as like he was smiling and laughing while he's going, I'm out. Yeah, because
2: I think um I think mean spiritedness would have been the death knell for this movie. Yeah. Given Mm -hmm. obviously the whole backstory of the rock's character as well. You do not want sort of that character looking or feeling wounded in any sort of severe way in relation to the kevin hart character like that would have just been brutal i think for the movie
1: i feel like there were some points where that's what was what kevin hart's character was expecting and then the rock was just like no i still love you i think i'm like what's the word i'm looking for he's just like uh, thinking the best of him, even though he's being directly betrayed and directly, like, thrown under the bus. The Rock's just like, but we're boys. We love each other. And, like, I, that was, I feel like, intentional. But mm-hmm. You are
0: right, though, in the sense that this film sort of feels like a vehicle for Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. And they, they almost feel above this film, and the film is happening around them, which kind of reminds me hmm. of um, Army Hammer and Henry Cavill from The Man from UNCLE. Yeah, that's a good comparison point. Yeah, um, not that they not that they weren't good in that film either. It's just that they were just. It was like a star vehicle for them, and it could have been anything going on in the background.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, in both movies, it's more about the energy of the actors than the plotting, for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, why don't we go through some of our main casts and just talk about our experiences with them. Uh, We've sort of covered Dwayne Johnson quite a bit, but, you know, for me, he's a big part of my childhood, so watching him on anything is is quite fun, although I haven't seen Rampage or Disaster, which is Hmm. probably a good thing. (laughs) Um, But what did you guys think of Dwayne Johnson?
1: Uh, I mean, I feel like I pretty much covered it. I thought that I liked the character dynamic that he was, like, obsessed with the character Calvin and like it he was totally convincing i felt like that it he was just like so positive all the time because he's like bottling like pushed all that negativity down and he's like trying to ignore it so of course he's gonna be the opposite he's just gonna be happy-go-lucky everything's great oh shot that guy in the face anyway everything's great like i feel like he really nailed that on the head personally but it wouldn't have been hard for him to take a dive in the opposite direction
0: I don't know whether it was an actual choice by him as an actor or or a coincidence, but I think he plays the (laughs) whole, like, um, on one level, I'm a really nice guy, but I'm actually going to kill you. Mm. Kind of double-layered person where you can see the intensity underneath the smile. I don't know if that just comes from his sort of wrestling days or anything like that, but I,
2: I got that feeling from him, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, like, I think Dwayne Johnson's more talented than I think he often allows himself to be seen. Like, I, I've always found him a bit frustrating as a movie star and that I really like him. Like, I think he's probably the highlight of this movie. And I would say that for a number of the movies he's in. But I always feel like he tends to just choose projects that are kind of the equivalent of those two or three star movies. And I'm always waiting for him to, you know, when you look at actors who came before him, movie stars who came before him, a lot of the, the, the thing that movie stars would do was use their clout to work with the best directors possible. And I often mm-hmm. feel like Dwayne Johnson follows the Will Smith mold of getting directors who have not a lot of power or a lot of vision and just more or less make Dwayne Johnson films. And in a case of some good examples, like I think Moan is great. I think fast five is a lot of fun, but a lot of the movies, you know, you cited rampage Scott or there was San Andreas <laughs> a lot of these movies are just so kind of generic. And I go, yeah, I like The Rock in them. But like, so what? Like, it's not a movie that really has any staying power. I would love to see him work with someone really good. The way that say like, you know, Adam Sandler does like Uncut Gems or Punch Mm. Drunk Love. And I'm like, oh my God, like he's amazing in both those movies. I want The Rock to do something. Look, this guy's accumulated massive amounts of wealth at this point. I'm not worried about his standing as a movie star. He's got lots of stuff coming up. Why not pick kind of a interesting project that really lets him stretch his wings? Because I think he's more than capable of it.
1: Have you seen Ballers on HBO?
2: I haven't seen Ballers. That was a show I heard about, and then it kind of got no buzz, so I never checked it out. Have you seen it? Is it worth watching?
1: Uh, it's definitely a show for those who enjoy sports, which is not the kind of human I am. But mm. at the same time, the parts I did see of it were him having like existential crises and him as a dramatic actor I I only saw bits and pieces and I didn't have the context but I feel like he does have it like he's got the acting bug and we just haven't seen him really shine yet well
0: I mean unfortunately Hulk Hogan isn't a very good example this is our second Hulk Hogan shot so far <laughs> but you know being a wrestler requires a lot of range
1: right. especially yeah. if you're good mm-hmm.
0: and The Rock was the best so I'm not surprised he has that range but I did have a, a a Dwayne Johnson slash Bob Stone question for you all.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: now, he obviously changed his name and, and accepted his identity and became Bob Stone. And then eventually, I think in a sort of sense, he went back to Robert Weirdick by the end. But if you were to change your identity and come up with a new
2: name, what would you change? and What would your new name be?
1: Good gravy. I've never thought of okay.
2: this. Okay, <laughs> Miles, if you want to think about it, I have an answer okay so I actually have an alternate name that I used to use when I worked in television um, oh. I worked in community TV and often you know we would have issues with crewing all the jobs so I would do multiple jobs on the TV shows I worked on and they don't really like it sometimes if the credits uh, just show the same name over and over again because it looks kind of amateur hour mm-hmm. and so I came up with an alter name that I used and this name has, hundreds of hours of TV credits and that name is Trent Mason.
1: Trent Mason.
2: Okay. That's right.
1: I,
0: I feel like I can get where this is from. Uh-huh. So Trent is is nine inch nails, right? Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Mason.
2: Perry Mason? No. Add a mm. I'll give you a hint. Add a letter, Scott. Mason's? No, no. It was, I was a big fan of Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson. And so I took the the N out of Manson and made Trent Mason. And Trent Mason, uh, that was a name that was used a lot in the, uh, I guess it would have been the early to mid 2000s.
0: Well, I'll give Miles a little bit more time because I had an answer prepared because it was my question. Um, I went to a secret cinema event Uh, for those who don't know secret cinema hold these sort of interactive film events where you go to watch a film uh, usually quite a high uh, quite a big film and you become a character and you dress up and you go to a place where there's actors pretending to be part of the film and i've been to uh, blade runner uh, back to the future a couple of other ones um and the one of the ones i went to was back to the future and you go to the town from back to the future and they give you an identity and a job and so my alias, uh, my real name for my character was Gary Jones. Gary I, Jones? <laughs> Gary Jones. So I, I had to change my Facebook and everything for like a whole summer because you had to become the character. So I changed my Facebook to Gary Jones and I became a reporter. So wow. my, my, my change in, in role, my change in name is Gary Jones. I'm going to become a freelance reporter.
1: Okay.
2: I feel like Trent Mason is a cooler name than Gary Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it it definitely is, actually, to be fair, Cam. It really is.
0: But it's a boring (laughs) spy name that would would be pretty good.
1: I I feel like Scott and I are on the same page that we're taking, like, the Superman step... Instead of, like, making yourself more interesting, you make yourself less interesting. Because I have the name Miles Trout. Like, my name is so goofy and weird and unique. Nobody else has the name Miles Trout. Sometimes I sit and I go, man, I have a weird name. And so I feel like I would pick something as simple as simple can be and be like Dave Davidson. Something really (laughs) totally opposite of interesting or unique.
2: Well, I'm Agent Gary. And I'm Trent, the provocateur.
1: <laughs> it kind of works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave Davidson, not the civilian.
0: <laughs> and Dave Davidson's here too, <laughs> yeah. which is exactly how you say it with that name.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hi, Dave. Hello. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I think we've got Dwayne the Rock Johnson there covered. Kevin Hart, of course, is in this film, and again, it does feel like a vehicle for him. I wasn't really familiar with his comedy. I'm not really seen his stand-up. Either of you, have you seen his stand-up at
1: all? Miles? I used to love Kevin Hart, because his big start was on YouTube. People started recording his sets and putting them on YouTube, and he just got huge, huge, huge. And, like, before... Mm -hmm. So there's, like, different levels of comedy. Like, there's ground level, like, okay, so you're learning how to do stand-up comedy. And then there's theaters, which is this sweet zone of, like... Doesn't appeal to everybody, but is fantastic for the people who are legit fans. And that's kind of where I dropped off from Kevin Hart, because once you get to, like, stadium level of comedy, all of your jokes have to appeal to everybody. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that degrades comedy that you're no longer edgy or, like, pushing boundaries. Now you're just doing observations. So, I feel like Kevin Hart used to be a lot more prolific as far as being a comedian, but it's when it comes to being an actor, it's probably best that as many people like you as possible. So, you know,
0: isn't that why Dave Chappelle
2: kind of stepped away
1: that and the abuse from, uh, comedy central. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, for me with Kevin Hart, I was aware of him. Um, I'm not a big comedy person as established as also well, <laughs> well known on the podcast. Um, but, uh, my main familiarity would be he would show up, in kind of like cameos or bit parts or even appearances on award shows and things like that. And so like, I knew he was funny, but a lot of the movies he made just didn't really, they didn't draw me in. And a lot of them got really, really like brutal reviews. So I said, okay, I'm not going to sit through this. Um, I'm trying to think if I saw a starring vehicle of him, pre-Jumanji nothing's popping to mind but I may just be wrong about that like there may be something I'm forgetting but he's not someone who I've been ultra familiar with for sure but I thought he was fun here and I do like the idea of him being the straight man um because he has that kind of fast talking charm but to see him in a the role of a character who's fast talking just to try to preserve normalcy I think that's kind of fun versus Mm -hmm. going you know in the crazy direction um now After you step down from the highs or height of
0: Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart, then you start to get to the rest of the cast of the film, which has got some really great actors in there, but they don't really get a lot of time. Um, So reading through the IMDb, we've got Amy Ryan first up, who's best known as Holly Flax from The Office.
2: Yeah, I mean, I love Amy Ryan. Like, If you've seen uh, Gone Baby Gone, Ben Affleck's um, first film that he directed she's amazing in that movie. She was nominated for an Oscar and I feel like they've never managed to deliver um, her material that really draws that out again. And I kind of was bummed to see her a little wasted here, but I like her. I don't know. It's not a funny character. It's kind of that in a comedy, you don't want to be the character who's just there to kind of fulfill a plot function without any
1: punchlines.
2: And that's kind of what she has here. She's the dude in every Jason
0: Bourne film that
2: gets outwitted
1: by Jason Bourne. Oh my God, it's Jason Bourne that guy
2: that's it. yeah but without like the big cool monologues that like joan allen or david strathern get like she just kind of fulfills her function and her job is to move the plot along which is one of those like jobs as an actor i, I guess her agents are probably like do this it's going to be probably a big hit it's good for your career but it's the sort of thing on paper you'd look at and be like like what am i digging into here yeah i i feel like
0: she's got Oh, well, I've seen her have comedy chops and other things, and you can kind of see that coming through in this film because she has some good one liners, but I don't think they used her to her potential. Def- mm-hmm. No,
1: definitely yeah. not.
0: Uh, after that, we have Danielle Nicolette, who plays Maggie, who is Calvin Joyner's wife. Um, again, uh-huh. another actress who really doesn't get to do anything in the film and is kind of uh, pigeonholed a little bit.
1: Yeah, the women aren't written very well in this movie. They don't even like, they can barely string together a sentence. Like, they are super not important in the plot at all.
2: I don't understand this character whatsoever. Like, this character seems to be just living in blissful ignorance throughout the course of the movie, which is, again, not the character you want to really play in a movie because I don't understand anything going on with her. Like, there's some sort of acknowledgement of like marital issues between her and Kevin Hart, but those marital issues are so vaguely related that I didn't really understand what they were. And so most of her material is scenes where, you know, Dwayne Johnson's trying to pull Kevin Hart into a situation. You know, there's the therapy session, which I thought was pretty funny, mm-hmm. but, um, but ultimately she just sits there with a wide eyed look on her face and is clueless. And, and, It doesn't make the character look very intelligent or proactive when they just have a blank look on their face for most of the movie. And I'm sure she's directed to do that. I don't think it's the choice of the actor. It's just this character Mm. is, is a nothing. Like, there's nothing to this
1: character whatsoever.
0: It's a shame for 2016 that this is how one of the female leads in a film is written.
1: I feel like there's a lot of her on the cutting room floor. Like, they definitely had more in mind for her. But then just Kevin Hart jiving made the plot in the movie just a little more palatable so they cut out like the plot points where she was like i don't know calvin this isn't cool you know yeah and it just
2: feels like honestly it's dwayne johnson and kevin hart and all the other characters are in the wake
1: yeah
0: i mean i can see an editor saying what does the what does the movie audience want to see more dwayne the rock johnson saying sexy as dick right now (laughs) or Mm -hmm. danielle nicolette talking about her feelings
2: Or delving into the marital issues that are apparently an important part of this movie that were not that important.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, After that, we have Jason Bateman, who uh, now is most famous for his work in Ozark, which is a terrific show on Netflix. I recommend everyone watch it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also a big fan of him from Arrested Development. What did you guys think of Jason Bateman in the film?
2: Eh, It was kind of just one note. Like It it wasn't that funny, and it just kind of came across as cruel. And not, like, blackly funny cruel. You know, it wasn't, like, a dark, dark comedy take on a bully. It just was kind of like, ah, this character's unpleasant. I can't wait to see him get punched out because I know that's going to happen at the end.
1: There's Mm -hmm. a movie that was Jason Bateman's first, like, serious role or one of his first ones. I don't remember what it was. But, like, the whole premise was that there was a stalker stalking him and his wife and, like, taking pictures inside their house when he's not home and stuff. And it turns out he was a terrible, vicious bully. And that's why the guy was like stalking him. And I. Oh. I've, yeah. The gift, right? So, the gift yeah, of Joel Edgerton. Yeah, yeah. That one. So I feel like the only reason he's in the movie is A, he's Jason Bateman. And maybe they were kind of just poking fun at the fact that he was in a movie where he played a bully and it was totally unbelievable and not a good movie.
2: Yeah, it's quite possible. Like I think it's fun to cast Jason Bateman as someone who's like super smug. I mean, those qualities are there on Arrested Development, but they've really played it up in movies like even Smoking Aces, for example. Mm. Um I just think they were kind of going to that well. I think it would have been more fun to do something completely different with him.
0: I my I watched this with uh, my other half Hannah and she said when they were casting this, they must have just asked for a Jason Bateman type and he was free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this this just feels like it, this is this is a role
2: he does in a lot of films. He'd also worked with this director, though, in Dodgeball, so there's also a yeah. relationship there. How do
1: I not True. remember him in any of these movies you're talking about? I don't remember him being in Smoking Aces or Dodgeball.
2: <laughs> Sorry, Jason
1: Bateman, we want to apologize yeah. right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Jason Bateman, don't get me wrong, but I, who was he in Dodgeball? Well, let's not get into it. Anyway, yeah. moving on.
0: <laughs> um, okay, well, the last one I want to mention, but if you guys have anyone else, would be Aaron Paul um i I don't know if he's fresh off of breaking bad at this point or breaking bad was still going
1: it was like the same year breaking bad had just ended
0: right okay so this was like peak aaron paul at this point then
2: this is like uh, aaron paul trying to cross into movies he had need for speed which Mm. did not do well and then i guess this i don't know there's nothing to this character um he's teased early on i knew he was the villain and so i was just kind of waiting for the inevitable to happen at the end of the movie but he's there's nothing to him. Like He's just, again, a function of the plot. Um, I don't know. It's a reveal that wasn't much of a reveal for me. I don't know. He is He's doing the job, but it's very unmemorable. I think they went for that sort of
0: Bondian reveal. The whole, like, rip the mask off, it was me all along, kids, type thing. I'm the but, author of all of your pain, yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. It It didn't really land, unfortunately yeah um the only question i have for you guys if you have any idea is do you think aaron paul has a an additional fee for saying the word bitch in a piece of work
1: <laughs> he should i mean yeah there should be like a, at least 50 dollars bonus for every time he says it if not more
0: because he uses the same like inflection he does from um, breaking bad
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
0: I feel like his agent should have
2: negotiated that for sure.
0: It feels like something they, again, like you said, like riffing on someone's best work. Mm-hmm. It's exactly that. So yeah, but it was nice to have a named uh, actor in it with some gravitas, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, right. Well, that about wraps up the individual actors. I have a couple of final thoughts, but I'll throw it out to everyone else. First miles, before we get to the knock list, you have anything else you want to mention about the film?
1: Um. Oh, there was a celebrity cameo that I forgot about that was hands down, without a doubt, the funniest part of the movie. And that was mm-hmm. uh, Kumail Nanjiani showed up yes. and he, was, he had the cooler with the snake in it. Oh my God, I was laughing so hard.
0: <laughs> he is such a great comedy actor. And I mean, that line, um, I am made of questions right now, yeah. <laughs> is one
2: of the funniest lines in the film and it's not given to the top two guys. I'm so glad you brought this one up, miles. I was actually going to as well, because I think he is probably the comedic highlight of this movie for me. Um, yeah. The full of questions bit was amazing. The screaming <laughs> at the snake and then being like, Oh no, no I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's snake. Hall. Like I, <laughs> I Kamail Nanjiani is one of those actors who I think is brilliant. And I'm just waiting for him to find that perfect comedy movie. I mean, the big sick is amazing, but like yeah. that big mainstream hit, he's tried a couple, you know, you had the Lovebirds. There was uh, Stuber. Neither of those really connected. I'm just waiting for him to really land because I think when you throw him in cameos in movies like this, he walks away like the MVP for sure. Like I thought he was—he was amazing. I loved him.
1: He—he's uh, going to be a new Marvel hero. Did you guys hear about that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's in the Eternals. Yeah. yeah, I'm very much looking forward to that movie because I think it could be very strange.
1: It's going to be weird, but uh it is. What I recognize Kumail from is uh, a Silicon Valley amazing show, but there was a show that it like failed as soon as they made a whole season of it. It was a game show called bunk where it was like comedians on a game show. And Kumail, like he won his first round, went to the second round and he ended up winning the whole show just because he's so dry and deadpan. And like, just the fact that he knew that cooler was his and he just kept messing, (laughs) messing with Kevin Hart (laughs) was so like, I don't know. I feel like that's his actual personality. It's exactly what he would do in real life. You know? Yeah. It also feels
0: like what we would do as people. Mm-hmm. Like, if you knew that was your luncheon there with your snake or your friend's snake, but some other guy was telling you it's a dick in the box. Yeah. <laughs> you would probably hear this guy out and see what nonsense he has
2: to come up with first. <laughs> yeah. Cam, <laughs> do you have anything else to add? Um, I mean, the Kamail thing was the big moment I was going to talk about, but there was a couple little things I'll mention. I thought the um, the jumping out the window on top of the inflatable, whatever it was, mascot, reminded me of a better movie also starring uh, or featuring The Rock, which was um, The Other guy. Yes. Where mm. you have the Samuel Jackson, Dwayne Johnson diving out the window to um, Heroes, I think it was, by Foo Fighters. And um, that moment was amazing. And I remember my whole audience watching it. And I love the comedy of it where you're watching them head towards pavement, but everyone is just staring at the screen waiting for something to happen (laughs) and then be completely (laughs) like bursting into a huge laugh um, when they just smash on the pavement. And I, I feel like those types of moments are missing from this movie. Like those types of comedy moments that just surprise you. Like I wished for more surprise. Um, Other than that, uh, I don't know that there was too much. I just, I always find it a kind of a weird trope of movies And it's something I don't encounter a lot in my life. Maybe it does exist um, that other people can say. It just doesn't exist in my life. So I find it strange, which is people who are like pushing 40 who are obsessed with high school. I just don't I don't really get it.
0: (laughs) We had this discussion uh, when we were watching the film together. If they had a high school reunion for the 20th anniversary, which would be
2: in about four years for me. Yeah, I I wouldn't go. Um, I already had mine. I didn't go.
1: Yeah. Uh, COVID COVID ruined my 10 year And I had zero intention on going to that Because all the people I care about I'm friends with on Facebook So Right Yeah, I'm in the same boat Like all my best
2: friends from high school I'm still friends with now And still hang out with So like I've never really understood this whole like Obsession with high school culture. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't, did nothing happen after that? I don't know. But I guess for some of these characters, no. But I always find that fascinating. And it's not reserved for this movie. It's something we see throughout, you know, mo- a lot of comedy movies go to that trope and to that well a lot. Mm-hmm. I would say
0: it's a very, uh, Miles, you're the only American in the chat. It's definitely a very American thing from from our side of the pond, because we don't really tend to have reunions.
1: It's it's a big deal over here. The people who peaked in high school want to make a point to be like, everybody get together like we used to. But at the same time, I I think it's kind of like antiquated because everyone in when we can connect with anybody at any time it's different from mm. in the 80s when like your friends went to different colleges and you wanted to see what they did with their lives so I think overall it's something that's probably going to die and stay dead with covid
0: I mean honestly who wants to go back and see their exes right and the people that like bullied them or like or they bullied who wants to be reminded of all the really bad choices we made as teenagers
2: um I don't know and it's funny because you were saying about uh, miles about how you know you don't have that uh, sort of that desire to find out what people have been up to because you know on social media i find myself wishing i knew far less about what people are up to right thanks to social media
1: <laughs> so for sure
0: i weirdly feel that way about my mom mm. she needs to get off social media boomers Sorry, that's a whole other podcast yeah, boomers
1: yeah. aren't very good at social media so uh, <laughs> it's universal yeah.
0: uh, um okay well i had two little bits i and then we'll ask the question um firstly is i do miss films having blooper reels at the end
2: yes uh i would agree with you except i saw so many movies in the wake of i don't remember when they became a big deal but i remember them being a big deal and a lot of the blooper reels were not funny at all and mm. so i don't i don't miss that um but if they can deliver sure yeah i'm all for it it's i always like fondly remember the liar
0: liar one
1: that's a good one. Sure.
0: Like, Yeah, when like that lady like, shouts over actor at Jim Carrey and yeah. it just gets me every time. This is what confirms that this was a lot of improv in this film is that in the credits, you just see them improving? Yes. Yeah. You just take the, 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 the therapy session as an example smacking where he's each like other. doing all this. Yeah, slapping each other. It's hilarious. But I imagine like the film crew must have had a nightmare with that.
1: Yeah, they're like, take it seriously now. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll take it seriously now. And they just keep smacking each other.
0: Guys, we've been here a week. (laughs) We have to film the chimpanzee scene next. Come on. (laughs) Um, Which leads me beautifully onto my final point. And that is, who did it better? Will Smith getting out of a pile of tubes or Kevin Hart getting out of an inflatable chimpanzee?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question because honestly, the Kevin Hart getting out of the uh, inflatable chimpanzee didn't even strike me as that big of a moment. Like I really didn't remember it i didn't make a note of it at all so i'm gonna say that did it better because it didn't force me to wallow in suffering while i watched an actor flounder for a couple of minutes
1: <laughs> is the first reference um, men in black when he's climbing out of the guts or whatever
0: oh no you're right it's men in Black two oh. where um will smith is is he's fighting those giant heads isn't he the floating heads
1: oh uh, okay i think so
0: yeah. Um he spends about 3 minutes trying to get out of some plastic tubes.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: and and yet those 3 minutes feel like an eternity. Mm. So there you go folks, Kevin Hart did it better. Yeah. Sorry Will yeah, Smith, he did. Don't at me. <laughs> um but here we are. The question. Does central intelligence make the knock list?
1: Miles you are our guest. Go for it. Okay, so Nock, is that—that's an acronym, yes.
2: Yes, that is the need-to-see official classics of the spy canon, and by extension, the Spy Hards podcast.
1: Hell no, it doesn't fall into that list. What? <laughs> Why would that be on that <laughs> list? It's a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: okay uh, so you, you say you're pretty firm on that one then by the sounds of yeah, it yeah
1: i don't like it was just a silly movie there's no one should remember this past this podcast see it and then be done
2: <laughs> cam yeah i'm in the same boat it's a no for me it's the sort of thing though i can totally see someone sitting down and watching on like a tuesday night or something and being like hey, yeah, you know, I had kind of a lousy day. That kind of brought up my spirits a little bit. And then the next day, someone at work says, hey, did you watch anything last night? And the person goes, I don't think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got home and fell asleep, I think. And, uh, yeah, yeah, like,
2: I, I don't know. Oh, oh wait, maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. I can't remember. But I, yeah, I don't know. Um, you no, know, it was totally fine. It was not painful in any way to sit through. It was not a Men in Black 2. It's just the kind of movie that I sit there and I enjoy the chemistry, as I said, between the two stars. But... You know, I I didn't see these movies in chronological order. Like if I'd seen this movie first, maybe I would have been like, oh, I really want to see these two reteam and do something even better. But I saw Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle first, and I think they were way more fun in that movie. And I saw Jumanji 2 before this. I thought they were fun in that one, even if that movie is lesser. Um, This just kind of felt like the, you know, it's the warm up for better things to come. So, you know, it doesn't even make my um Kevin uh, Hart, Dwayne Johnson knocklist much less, <laughs> much less my spy hearts knocklist.
0: <laughs> oh. Sorry, director dude. Yeah. Mm. What about no. you,
1: Scott? Um, You're going to be the wild card and be like this is the best movie I've ever seen. Uh,
0: how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just love actors rolling around in inflatable chimpanzees, what can I say? <laughs> And like horrible, horrible face swapping stuff. No, uh, it's an easy one. This is what I would call personally a plane film. Plane as in aeroplane, not plane as in beige. Although it is a bit (sighs) plain too. Um, It's a perfectly watchable film you could watch on a plane to forget you're on a plane for two hours. Right. But you're not supposed to take anything away from it. Like You're not supposed to watch Avengers Endgame on a plane because you can't see the screen. Whereas this film, you barely even need to see the screen.
2: Right. Like kind of like when I was flying home from Australia uh, many years ago and I watched Along Came Polly. That's the sort of movie this is where you're like, yeah, it it passed two hours on a plane. Yeah. Nothing bad. I'm not saying it's a bad film. It's
0: funny. It's got great Mm -hmm. actors in it, not necessarily used in good ways, but there's no way on earth this is making an innocuous. So it's a definite No. no from me.
1: Yep, same. same z's.
0: So that's a three-way no, and therefore Central Intelligence is not making the knock list. And the dossier on the film is complete and filed as classified. Cam, what are we doing next week?
2: Well, Scott, we are going back to 1963 to hang out with Sean Connery in From Russia With Love. Oh, I cannot
0: wait to go back to this film. It's often held as like the best of the Sean Connery films and also sometimes one of the best Bond films. Yeah. But we let Dr. No into the
2: Knocklist, so I'll be interested to see how this one holds up now. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to this. I've read the book um, in the past year, so I'm interested just to look at it through that lens, which I'd never been able to say before.
1: Podcasts are my favorite. It was a terrible impression.
2: <laughs> Subscribe to SpyHard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this is uh, in really poor taste. Yeah. So, uh, Miles, where can people find you and find out more about your podcast?
1: Speaking of poor taste, yes, that actually is appropriate because it is full <laughs> of poor taste and immature humor if you are interested. Uh, it's the Disc Dump Podcast. You can find it wherever you stream your podcasts. And we don't just talk about movies and games and stuff. Sometimes we play games where we like try drinks that don't look very good to see if they taste good and stuff like that. And we have one where uh, you guys got to play the game where we go on Wish dot com and try and identify objects by their description, which is usually pretty disgusting. So it's a lot of fun. Be sure to check me out, Disc Dump Podcast.
0: I, I actually uh, had Cam in our secret Santa for Christmas, and I used that Wish dot com list as a as a helpful guide for our present. <laughs>
2: Yes, the, uh, the present was escorted in by the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I was never heard from again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us, Miles. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Well, folks, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to check out Miles and the Distump podcast. And of course, check out From Russia With Love and watch it before next week's episode. Don't forget to follow us discreetly at SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, we'll see you on the other side.